Computer-generated imagery, or CGI, has been around for decades at this point. Literally every film and TV show shot these days employs some use of it in its post-production. But over the years, CGI's results have varied. Sure, we have terrific films like Jurassic Park, Lord of the Rings, and Avatar that have used CGI to great advantage. But go back and revisit The Polar Express, or 2019's Cats, or Luke's face on that Mandalorian episode. Ugh. We still have a ways to go. On this episode, Dwight and I sit down and talk about our relationships with CGI past and present. We cite better and worse examples of its use. And we travel into the Uncanny Valley and discuss CGI's still inability to accurately replicate the subtleties of human beings on screen. We also wonder out loud if future generations raised on a steady diet of CGI will even care if something truly looks real or not. I'm Swain Hunt. Yes, it's really me and Dwight on this podcast. No illusion, no green screen as we ask the question, flesh or fantasy, is it real or CGI? I sent you and Adrian that image that uh, Questlove had posted on his Instagram of Michael Jackson where somebody had, you know, obviously taken Photoshop and taken someone else and kind of made like an older, basically what Michael Jackson would look like as an older person, uh, you know, with, you know, he's got wrinkles and crow's feet on his eyes and he had long, dark hair and a a big fat, you know, a big beard. Right. Uh, And it was kind of like a, you know, and a reimagining of what Mike would have looked like as an older person maybe today, of course, with Mm -hmm. his hair dyed. Right. And his original nose. Exactly, which was the, the joke that I made. I was like, Mike, Mike ain't had that nose in 30 plus years, yo. <laughs> or that skin color for that matter, you know. Yeah, wow. Yeah, hey, yeah man. Hey, man. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But Right. Uh, but it's that's kind of pertinent to the conversation as far as, you know, what's up with CGI in the modern age? What, you know, where do we stand with it? Where Where do we think objectively it stands in terms of its integration with filmmaking and with television production mm-hmm. um you know its use in art somewhat although we're going to focus more today on on movies and tv and, and uh motion picture media but right but i was trying to think man you probably know better than i do early special effects pre-cgi what it, what were some of those like you know obviously we have stop motion way way back in the day yeah that was that was uh, uh, Ray Harryhausen, you know, and the and the vo- many, many voyages of Sinbad, Sinbad, that, uh, and Clash of the Titans, and things like that. Exactly, and then you had, the, the, I think that the, the bridge between between and didn't always work out too well between stop motion and and now we now call CGI is probably um, uh, rotoscoping. Rotoscoping, okay. yeah, because you know that's that's where you you drew over the image of the actors that were doing it. You know, like 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 um, fire and ice with Ralph Bakshi. Okay, that was one of the main examples of that, and several other uh, images that were utilized as well. And there may be some other small incremental steps in between, but the major developments were, of course, developed by ILM. Right. You know, and how they they just they took off and took over, and and, and not took off and took over. They took the the basics of what um, was utilized as far as Ray Harryhausen's skills, and then combined with Dennis Muren and many other you know many other people inside of ILM, and made it much better, much more. You know, bombastic. What's the What's the effect where there's a screen behind the actor? Is that is there is there a name for that, or is that just exactly what I described it as? Yeah, it's just they call it green call it green screening. Back then it was green it was green screening. Then it was then it became blue screening. I think it's between the two. It was, it was blue screening first and green screening second. They got tired of doing yeah. Like you would see, like an actor would like if a train was 
passing by an actor, you'd see them turn and turn their back to the train, and then their their clothes and their jacket and everything would be whipping as if the wind. But obviously, they were in front of some kind of screen, right? You know, uh, and that they weren't actually, you know, standing in front of a train that was racing by them at two hundred and twenty miles an hour, right? Because they'd be blown, it was sucked up anyway. Yeah, they'd be, yeah, they'd, yeah, they'd be blown <laughs> blown away, and you know, and then you have you know actors who are sitting in cars, and the cars have a screen, you know, there's a screen around them, so it looks as it appears as if they're driving and they're moving, but they're not. Right, right. And that actually has become almost an affectation, like that was used to great extent as as uh, kind of like a uh, like a love note or an affectation in uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, where Bruce Willis is in the back of the taxi cab with Maria Villalobos and you see, you know, they're supposed to be driving down the street and it's supposed to look very noir or whatever. And clearly, clearly they're not in a car that's going any goddamn way, you know, <laughs> but yeah, but but to your point, there is there is very uh, famous footage, documentary footage of ILM and Steven Spielberg, as he's crafting and putting together Jurassic Park back in whatever year it was, I forget what it was, yet yeah, the late nineties, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, where he's working on Jurassic Park and he wants to show the dinosaurs. And I think they initially started out with you know the idea of mostly using puppets and things of that nature, and they did use some of that in mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, like when the kids are in the tree and then the dinosaur comes over. Yeah, that makes sense. Practical yeah. effects. Yeah, those are practical effects and puppet, puppets, puppets, and and so forth. Mm-hmm. But the very famous documentary footage of them calling Spielberg and saying, "Well, hey, you know, we can do this in the computer," and then they bring him over and they show him mm-hmm. how they can kind of write it in, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get probably the best representation of creatures that we've never actually, as human beings, ever laid eyes on be represented in what we what feels to us to be realistic, the most accurate and natural way, you know, as, as well as we can imagine it, you know, you're still imagining what they sounded like. We don't know. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> but you mean, yes, you have some basis for that based on what their, what the progenitors are like, you know, what the, what the, uh, what their progeny is. And that's their, the, the live versions of these like truncated, truncated animals, you know, like, you know, a, a saber tooth tiger probably sounds like a tiger today, but maybe amped up a little bit, a little more, a little more feral, you know, you may think you may take, you may extrapolate that a, that a, that a brontosaurus may be this may be uh, like a, um, a giraffe or which is making any noise I know of or a um, like a hippo or something hippo, hippopotamus mm, you know, exactly exactly so again the theater of the mind but the problem with that is is we're still assuming what they sound like you know what the what the movie tells us that uh, dinosaurs are descendants of birds so how do we know that all the most didn't just go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> how, we how do we we don't know to what extent their bird like you know bird like uh, uh, descendancy you know in their bird like uh, descendancy you know what you know what they actually did sound like but, right right but I was just gonna start with by saying that for me the key point like I remember seeing Jurassic Park and thing and being blown away like everyone else was like wow right right I mean they really did the damn thing with these dinosaurs yeah. And even to this day, you can see, you know, the early, it's early CGI, but the use of CGI for non-human creatures and for other things is oftentimes a little less jarring because, you know, we don't, we don't know how a dinosaur moves. So if this is how they said it moved, I mean, shit, that's how it moved, you know. Right, right, I mean, right. we know how hips and how ankles and how, 
you know, thigh bones and femurs and, and, and kind of how animals, you know, how their movement differs from ours. And same thing like you had, I think you mentioned in our text exchange about Lord of the Rings, you know, so mm-hmm. Gollum is not a human being per se. He's humanoid-ish. Right. But he's not a human. So him being a 100% CGI creature was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't throw me out when I first saw The Hobbit. It didn't throw me out at all. I was like, oh, damn, you know. Right. Right. You know, my precious, my precious. Yes, and and the thing about it was it was so wonderful as they they used uh, the, the the very gifted Andy Circus man yes. to, to 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 do those to those yes. all those motions and stop cam and motion capture. So they mm-hmm. had and they used even his facial expressions they modeled after even even the maquettes were modeled after Andy Circus once it's how good he was you know. Oh really? Kind of cr- yeah. Oh yeah. The, the 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 final model is is very much a. A streamed down, emaciated version of Andy Circus Man mm-hmm. at that age. Okay, and because because eyes are very much that. Like in, the first time we see Gollum in in uh, Lord of the Rings, the the uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, mm-hmm. when he when he's peer, when he's piercing at them, looking at them, it's not that's not even the same model they used. It, it's different. It's, that was there was Circus I think doing the doing the motion for, but the, the model was different <clears throat> considerably. And they changed it when it became a live action, full full live body figure in the next movies. Okay, so. But yeah, I mean, the technology is definitely there, and I think I like—I still like the way that that, that Lucas used it. Um, George Lucas used it um, to a greater or less degree. Like um, George is a tinkerer, so he's always tinkered with stuff, and he continues to develop and continues to to, to want want to do better and do better and improve upon what he's made already mm-hmm. to a greater or less degree, and to some people's chagrin, you know, in terms of would you stop would you stop playing with the same toys, George, and, and build a new set, you know. But that kind of tinkering has is, is, is led to developments in the greater CGI world that uh, are of now of, of continuing to make its own, go through its own growth cycle, continue to move beyond even Lord of the Rings. Okay. You know, as, you'll, as, we'll, as we'll discover. So, For me, I remember specifically, you know, because CGI was, you know, start, obviously Jurassic Park comes along in the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And... I remember specifically seeing uh, Catwoman in 2004 starring Halle Berry. Yeah. And it just being a total miss where I was like, okay, is this where we're going with this in terms of using it as as a predominant tool for post-production? Because her movements, her physical movements as a human being just looked awful. Stiff. Yeah, they were very stiff. Yeah, just crazy and disjointed and not human. And the key moment in the movie for me wasn't that like her flipping and being super dynamic as a, as a, you know, as a, as an anti-hero cat woman. Right. Right. It was when she was supposed to have drank the milk and she had a, a CGI milk mustache. Oh, that was a waste of time, right? <laughs> well, at the time, I remember just kind of lambasting the movie, like a CGI milk mustache, a CGI milk mustache. What the hell? But, you know, it's a dark club. It was a situation where, you know, whatever, however they were shooting it. And I do understand that when you're making things, when you're shooting television shows and you're shooting, you know, films, feature films, you know, everything comes down to how something reads. It doesn't matter if it's real, if it's not real, if it's authentic, if it's if it's an actual picture in a frame, if it's an actual whatever. It's how it reads on film. Right. So a real milk mustache probably just didn't read well and then painting it on maybe with white paint, maybe just didn't seem to work or whatever. So they just said, let's just add it in post. Wow. And they did. And it looked 
horrible to me, but I understand, again, I understood why they may have gone for that, or maybe it just might have been, you know, uh, computer-generated masturbation. Well, we can do it. Hey, let's just do it, you know. Right. We have the we have the money. We've all the we money. have the money. We have the ability. We have the power. We have you know. Right, right. right. And and hope. that was really the first moment while I was I was really kind of I took a step back as a person who loves you know films and who enjoys television and just likes visual storytelling all the way around. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, is this you know is this going to be the future? And then of course that same year, we have probably the film that you know for which the term you know. The Uncanny Valley, you know, rose to prominence in popular culture. The Polar Express came out. Okay, yeah, I didn't. And see it was that. like, oh god, <laughs> damn! Right, right, right. That's our Tom Hanks, right? <laughs> yeah, geek, you know, creepy Tom Hanks and <laughs> creepy Tom Hanks. You know, this creepy little boy who looks like you know Mark Zuckerberg. You know, with okay. the. <laughs> Right, the, the big head and whatnot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And for anyone yeah. who's ne- who does never heard the term "uncanny valley," it was coined, I think, decades before. Mm-hmm. But it relates to the idea of something that you're trying to make, like either a, an image, like a, a moving picture, or even like a robot, mm-hmm. where you're trying to make it be so much like human beings that it almost becomes creepy or disorienting to people to look at because it's so unlike how human beings move. Right. And unlike how they look and how they convey or whatever. Right. And and, and to your point, it's it's a, it's a question of technology and evolution of technology, man. Like, it's only a matter of time before they finally get it right and they're getting closer and closer to it to where it's, it's a little less eerie, a little less creepy and you're able to, you're able to step outside of that and, 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 and really believe that you're in a moment with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there, there are a bunch of missteps and it's still, it's still not a perfect technology. And because there, there's so many subtleties that are there that they, they can't they can't calculate all those subtleties because that's that's a lot of I mean don't get me wrong I think the databases exist I just think that the, the the targeted technology doesn't truly it takes a lot of tweaking a lot of know-how to make it all work together right we don't know we don't we don't really don't know how many muscles are moving like everybody's face is different everybody's muscles move under, underneath their face differently and to be able to calibrate that with a live actor is extremely hard you know extremely hard. And, and, um, you know, but they're getting there. They are getting there. But then back to what you were saying earlier about the, ne- the unnecessary abuses and uses of technology. What about that, what about that Superman debacle, man, and Zack Snyder's, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, where they, they, had, they had to paint out, his, paint out, paint out his, the mustache on his face because he's doing another movie at the time. Right. And it was, I guess it was reshoots galore or whatever, and they couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see, see when I was watching the movie live in, in, in the theater, I didn't pay that much close attention to that. But apparently, a lot of people did. They were very, very, you know, peculiar, particular about how, you know, um, old boy's face looked. And I was like, wow, okay, I guess they did that. So that was back in 2017, Snyder's Justice League, and what was happening at the time was Henry Cavill was was filming Mission Impossible Six, I think it was, okay, with Tom Cruise, and the request came right. from, I believe, Cruise in the production. You're right, right. He 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 uh, <laughs> he he, he double clutches his uh, his fist or whatever. Right. Reloads his fist. <laughs> right, right. But um, it was requested that he grow this kind of porn-looking mustache for his role <laughs> in the movie. And so when he does the reshoots, I guess, or whatever for Justice League, he says, I can't shave it. You're going to have to take it out, you know, digitally. Wow. And they did. And it's like, okay, well, how many th- more thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent removing his mustache in every frame? A lot of money, sir. You know, to kind of make that happen. And that is one of the more famous 
and more egregious examples of, you know, because we can, we will, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just delay shooting the reshoots or whatever. But everything's on a schedule now. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. with with all the studios pushing towards these these big ten pole films and these big popcorn movies, everything is on a schedule. And nobody wants to delay anything so they can have their big summer release or big Christmas release or whatever it is. But right, right. but back to your point about the subtleties, you're exactly right. You know, how you know our our you know I've been looking at human beings for over fifty years. You have as well. Right. And so there are a lot of subtleties to movement, to gestures, to body language, to posture. Mm-hmm. To your face muscles, to how eyes move and how they react when you're being angry, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're laughing, when you're when you're even, when you know all of those. There's so many hundreds of subtleties that that we take for granted looking at human beings, and so when those things are missing mm-hmm. from a CGI created being that's supposed to be humanoid or uh, even when they de-age someone, where it's like, okay, they almost have kind of like a Botox face or a filler face. Right, where it's like, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, that's young Sam Jackson, but why does he, in our brains, we're not articulating this, but our brains were like, okay, why does he not have that little weird tick in his left mm-hmm. cheek that I've been watching for the last 25 years? Right. And right. I know it's there, even though I'm not thinking about it. But I, yeah, I feel that it's missing. I can't articulate it, but I feel that it's missing. I think where that was done well, another example where it was done well, uh, the first time I saw it, it, um, it was done, it was it really took me back to the early '80s when I saw um, Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man, Tony Stark, right when uh, and right, uh, right. in Civil War, where he where he's where he's recounting his last moments with his parents, and they show him in his in his, in his teenage years. I was like, wow, that was really done well. I mean, there was, there was some points where it was like, okay, I know that's not Robert Downey, but but it, it really really did a really good job of delivering that that feel he had when he was in the '80s. Yeah. He was that smart ass teenager who was the cool teenager. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and I imagine it's, it's super helpful in an instance where you, like in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where you have a young Kurt Russell that you can refer to. Right. A lot of you know, it, it, Not a still photograph, but you have images of him in motion. So you can try to recapture that or Samuel Jackson or, like you said, Robert Downey Jr., where we have him from, you know, the 80s and Less Than Zero and, you know, mm-hmm. Weird Science and things Weird like science. that. Exactly. You know, to try to try to replicate what he looked like then versus what he looks like, you know, when they're trying to recreate it now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but even moving beyond the human or the humanoid and trying to capture that with, you know, computer generated imagery, even like I remember watching the Sherlock Holmes movies that uh, mm-hmm. that Guy Ritchie uh, directed with Robert Downey and Jude Law and uh, Rachel McAdams. Right. And watching those movies, and sometimes there were a couple of shots where it's supposed to be, you know, it's London back in the 18-whatever, 17-whatever it is. Right. And you can just see every shingle on every roof and every smokestack and every crack and every shingle and every dirty, dilapidated doorway and every, just everything. Right. And it just looks so unnatural. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. okay, that's, you know, that's not how eyeballs work. But again... You know, these are the artists who are working on these films who are going in and, like you're saying, meticulously adding every single detail. They're they're kind of going into, you know, Mobius mode or George Perez mode or, mm-hmm. you know, some other artist who's known for, for great detail. And they're just they're just over rendering the shit out of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, ah, OK, that and it takes me out. It takes me out. Another example would be there are times where. Someone is walking like in a uh, 
they're walking along a street. Let's say there's there are two figures and they're walking along a street in the film, mm-hmm. and they're walking alongside maybe what might be a real building or it's you know it's a set, mm-hmm. but everything on the other side of the street and everything in the background is clearly painted in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know the the perspective may be for the most part correct, but you're just aware that this is where they stitched it together. Right here along the sidewalk is where they stitched it together, and everything else over there mm-hmm. is a creation. Mm-hmm. And have you ever watched films and been aware of that? Where you're like, oh, okay, that's where they did that, or this is where they they inserted this part in. Yeah, I have. I, I, I can think of several um, that, that, that took me there. Um, there was a scene in um, in The Shadow, uh, the, the, the the movie The Shadow with uh, with, with uh, uh, Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. where this is 1940s, you know, New York City oh, yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, and it's like okay, this is like okay, that's not really that's not a real. Thing. <laughs> that's not. A, I mean, it, it looked great. It looked great. I mean, you you felt you felt like you were in that moment, which was which was the idea. But it's like okay, that's that's not really happening. You know what I'm saying? And, right. And there were numerous things like they they used um they were using tools back then too, a combination of CGI and practical effects for the little for particular that little scarab they had, the little little, the little blade they had. Right, it, right, right. It, it was like it was like okay, that was some some stop motion Ray Harryhausen stuff that was like not really not really too not, not, not too well crafted. Yeah. And I just it took me I took me out of it. You know, it took me out of it. You know. I remember that and I like that movie. Uh I like that movie a lot. Right. Um but I agree with you. Yeah, even seeing thinking back on it then I was like, eh. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then not to mention again, wanting to like a movie about the shadow, and then Alec Baldwin and his agents probably insisting that at least more than a third of the movie he has to be out of his fake nose and the red scarf and the hat, and it's like, well, why is he running around in a trench coat then? Why don't he just you know just be Lamont Cranston at that point right, and not right, the right. shadow? Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, you signed up to do a movie called The Shadow, dude. Be the fucking shadow. Right. Know? Right. Live in the shadows, dude. Chill out. Let's dampen down your ego. You yeah. Know? That's why there's no sequel. <laughs> that and, and a few other things. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but there are two modern examples, too, that actually got me as well. One was uh, we watched The Gray Man, which came out this year. Okay. Haven't seen on, it. Uh, on Netflix. And this is, you know, this is the Russo brothers who did, you know, Infinity War and the Avengers film, Civil War and all that. Right. Great films. Yeah, this is a big $100 million movie that Netflix put together and made mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Ryan Gosling and, and Chris Evans and uh, I think it's Jessica Henwick and um, and Billy Bob Thornton are in it. And okay. this is a $100 million movie. It's a, you know about black ops. It's action. You know Things are blowing up and so on and so forth. People are fighting and secret agents and all this kind of stuff. Cool, cool, cool macho shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they did shoot this big kind of uh street scene shootout blow them up in like Prague you know like on a street corner you could tell they shut down an area of Prague and, and shot it on you know on on location right but then there were points in the movie where they're driving by and something's supposed to be on fire and it's like the fire looks is totally painted in yeah see and I was like oh man really <laughs> you know right right and and then the second example was just days ago, my wife was watching this miniseries on uh, on Netflix called Echoes with mm. Michelle Monaghan, and I think she plays, I think she plays twins in it. Okay, and it's just a, it's just an like an urban kind of a family drama mystery. Somebody's crazy in the family, and mm-hmm. you know whatever twin sister trying to kill the other one or something like that. It's something okay. like that, it was some kind of <laughs> bullshit. But anyway, 
there's a point in the movie where the house catches fire, and again, I've seen enough fires. I've been. I was a member of the Boy Scouts. I have my. I have my 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 tenderfoot. Right. You know, I know what fire looks like. I've been around situations where things have been on fire. I've seen houses catch fire. Right, right. So all of the subtleties of the flames and how the wood responds to being, you know, consumed by the flames and it starts to fall apart and how it falls and how the flames move and how they dance. And it, it's almost hypnotic. I, you almost could kind of understand how a pyromaniac can become obsessed with fire once you look at it because it is really beautiful. It is. It is. And this house in the in the show Echoes catches fire and the firemen are coming to put it out or whatever. And it's just all painted in. You can just tell. Wow. You know, and, and then it's in a later in the in the film, one of the sisters is chasing the other one through the woods. And then the one sister, she jump, runs and jumps in uh, like a river or a creek, a fast moving creek. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other one's, you know, comes in after or whatever. Not in the water at all. Wow. Wow. See? <laughs> See? Like, okay, like at fucking all. Maybe she's in a vat on a studio set, but they just totally painted her in and the waves are moving and they're moving and they're all fake. Wow. And I was just like. <sighs> what a waste of resources. Yeah. Yeah, because I like Mich- Michelle Monaghan is, is a pretty good actor. I like her. Okay. Okay. And uh, and this is an opportunity for her to kind of carry a series by herself. She's usually kind of playing like second or third lead in things. Right. Right. And it was just like, it's just. I just it lost me, man. Yeah, it just really yeah. lost me. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been there too, man. Um, I think um, the best kind of effects to me are the effects that blend in blend in the digital with the with the practical, and mm-hmm. you can pull it off. And you, and the thing is about storytelling is as we, as you know, we I referred to the last episode with, with Adrian is like, you know. The best melding of the of of the of the art form is when you can combine the two and, and not have them look, not not take you out of the out of the out of the moment, which is the narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, when it becomes jarring, that's when you get that uncanny valley effect. You know, and that's when you start to get into things uh, that, that territory where it's like, okay, I'm not believing this anymore, and I'm, and I'm thinking too much. I'm, I'm thinking too much about the effects, and you just blowing it for me. You know, you just blowing it for me. And I think that's part of the reason why. I mean, I think as a kid, I love dinosaurs. But I never really glommed onto the Jurassic Park franchise because to me, I knew they didn't exist, you know. I, I and and they were, they were it was just too it was too um, awkward for me. To look at look at something I knew was CGI, really really good CGI. Right. I, right. But I didn't I didn't really I didn't feel the amusement park side of things and the, and the sense of urgency that they wanted you to feel when you're involved with it. So I, I just didn't I just I checked out, you know. Really? Yeah, I checked out. I I, t- I totally I totally bought it and loved the mo- loved the first movie. And love the idea of what they, you know, this idea that they've taken, you know, DNA and they've actually created dinosaurs and now they're in an amusement park. Right. You know, like you go on a safari or go somewhere with tigers and zebras and things come up to the doors of your Jeep or whatever and you can touch them or you don't want to touch a tiger. I don't, I don't think that would be Mm-mm-mm. advisable, but. Uh, <laughs> you're the wild animal for that matter. It's just bigger than you. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I love, I totally, I totally love that and, and thought it worked. Now, I didn't follow the franchise and continue to see these movies, you know, as a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that first one, that initial outing, I thought was was superb, and, and and I thought they really they really nailed it. Right, right. But based on what you're saying there, so here's the thing: mm-hmm. what we're kind of talking about is is it, it, it's it's immersive, but it's based on where we are as viewers. Mm-hmm. So you and I have seen so many films over the years prior to, let's say, the late '90s, where there were practical effects. 
mm-hmm. you know, they're effects. They're not real. You know, John McClane is not jumping off of the Nakahomi Tower. You mean he didn't? With a, <laughs> right, with a, with a fire hose wrapped around his waist. Right. You know, uh, Action Jackson is not jumping through a window or over, you know, five cars on top of a taxi or whatever. Yeah, no. Yeah. You know, uh, right. we know those things to, to, to not have been true. You know, they didn't really fight an alien who was hunting them in the jungles of South America as far as predators concerned. Right. So over the years, our eyeballs have been trained for special live, real special effects, mm-hmm. real explosions, Real buildings, you know, even if it's a set, it's a real chair that someone is sitting in. It may be set dressing behind them. Practical effects. But it's a practical effect. It's a real environment that these characters are moving in. The shadows that Mm -hmm. are being cast are because they are real fixtures and they're real points of light and dark in the room. And as the figure moves, it captures those things. And we we know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some of what you're saying in terms of the best use of... It's really from your perspective and my perspective as older viewers, mm-hmm. because it's, you know we're like, okay, when you go st- strictly to this, our eyeballs know the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, when my wife, when Chris was watching uh, Echoes, mm-hmm. she even said, "Oh, that water looks so fake." Oh my God, she knew. You know, <laughs> and she's she's just a fan of movies and TV shows. You know, she's not, you know, someone who's a student in this, but she was just immediately like thrown out by this. And was kind of like, you know, just kind of like, you know, was like kind of kind of guffawed at the idea of, you know, this fake water. Right. But right. I think for someone who's in, who's a, a true millennial or a Gen Z, some, you know, someone like my daughter's age or Aiden's mm-hmm. kid's age, mm-hmm. they've grown up seeing CGI be not 30%, not 50%, maybe 70% mm-hmm. of what is being portrayed as far as, production post-production and, and effects goes and so they don't have those same ties to practical effects and environments that you and i do you know what i exactly. mean exactly yeah and it makes a difference man it, that makes it because it's like your 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 eye only knows what you what you tell it it only, it only knows what you, what you what you what you've shown it you know and mm-hmm. you know when you have a firm basis in reality our reality a hard reality um you you pick up on all those little small cues that are missing and and you know i think Again, while it's getting better and better, you know, and, and more immersive, and finding more ways of doing it and doing it better, and, and I think it's still missing some things, you know. To that point, you know, I, I find I find like the, the true tell being in and and um, I guess the last year's iteration of Star Wars, um, the Mandalorian, and then into uh, into Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. wherein they had a, a Luke Skywalker, and at the end of the last season of Mandalorian. And season two, how, episode sixteen, the rescue. Exactly. Yep. Right. And it was a thing wherein they they show Luke come in and just like wreck shop came in and doing his doing his master master Jedi right, thing. It was, right. 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 It, it right. Was, right. It was awesome. Everybody stood up and just applauded, and and some of us teared up, and some of us cried, and some. But it, but it was it was quite it was quite a, a well done scenario. And then you get the reveal. And while it was palpable, while it was very super super close, there was part of me that says. <laughs> I know that that's a CGI character. I know that's a paint over of somebody that didn't exactly look exactly like Luke, and they and they they put his they they, they try to get his, his facial characteristics just right. That's why they put it in shadow, you know, and that's why they because they they I guess they're under a tight time constraint and budget and didn't really plan for it throughout the entire season. Because realistically speaking, if they had planned for it throughout the entire season, they might have gotten the results they got in the book of Boba Fett, which by far were superior. Mm. And you know. They 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 hired a YouTuber um, named Shamrock that they, that did 
special effects comparison and made it better to do Book of Boba Fett, the Book of Boba Fett uh, rendition of, of um, Skywalker. Okay. Which is which is much more challenging because to, to see somebody in natural light is a lot different than seeing them in shadow. And you picks you're, you're the, the especially when you, when you when you have a paler skin, fairer skin, it picks up all the nuances in your face. Right. You, you can't you can't hide you can't hide those. And they did a, a superb job. As a matter of fact, it became a it became a, a more of a an interest to see, you know, Luke and Grogu and and um Ahsoka have a conversation than they did for even see Boba Fett. Wow. And that was that was wow. wow. But um to point out the special effects, I, I mean they're getting better and better. And um, you know, I, I just think there's if the at this present course, I think they're gonna they're gonna finally get like finally level off that uncanny valley to where it's just a a, a clean slate, you know. Eventually. So as it relates to Mandalorian, I remember watching that episode. I remember watching obviously both seasons, certainly season two, and season two to me that's why the whole episode sixteen with with when Luke shows up at the end that's why it was such a disappointment for me because. The CGI in Mandalorian was so just on point. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" It, I mean, it looked like they spent a million dollars, yeah, or whatever, on every episode just to get the effects right. You know, but between his ship mm-hmm. and things of that nature, and it, I mean, you know, granted there were some things where they were obviously on a set and it was lit and all that kind of stuff, but but places where they, you know, they did use CGI, it was super effective and immersive. Like you said, you know, you stayed. You stayed right there, and then when Luke shows up, and like you said, we're all like, "Oh my god, oh my god, Luke is killing, he's killing these dudes." Oh my right, god, right, right, right. And then you see his face, and then he looks like again, like some leftover yeah. Polar Express shit, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> not the Polar Express." <laughs> did, did Luke just go get you know his Botox redone right before he right, right, <laughs> he showed right. up here? Oh my god, he's right, right. You know, it just looked awful and like a total like miss. And everybody called it out the next day online. You know, everybody was it was almost like being in the schoolyard, you know, after you, you know, you watch, you know, Bruce Lee or Jim Kelly or uh, or freaking uh, Cleopatra Jones or something. And then you go to school the next day. Everybody's the next day. Everybody was talking about, you know, this episode. And we were all like, wait, what? Wait, what? 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 What happened here? You know, right. Right. You know, and you and I hang out with a lot of other artists and people who are, you know, who are who are tuned in and keyed in on this stuff. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, 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 really awful. And um, that's cool that the the YouTuber, mm-hmm. you know, was able to actually, you know, get a gig out of that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, that's like that's like a, 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 a I guess a, a, a person's like fantasy. It's like, OK, well, one of these days I'll get seen by. Right, you know, ILM. Like you can't even think, you can't even think about things like that because it's just uh, the idea of it happening that that quick in that way is just is just daunting and crazy. The, and the only do. other example might be is that, uh, and I think this was actually real, where uh, maybe back in the eighties, it was a lead singer of one of the heavy metal bands, Iron Maiden or something like that. Okay, okay. And they uh, there was a guy who was a in, in like a uh, a tribute band for okay. the real heavy metal band, and he got an opportunity to try out to replace the lead singer and they hired him. Wow. <laughs> you know, so you go from a tribute, essentially like with this YouTube guy, you know, you go from like a, doing this thing as fan service online just for yourself. Right. And now you get brought into the major leagues to jump on the mound and throw an actual pitch over the plate. You know, it's like, damn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty freaking awesome. <clears throat> but so if you had to put a percentage on it or some kind of a number, 
Mm-hmm. How much better do you think CGI has gotten from, let's say, let's use Jurassic Park as a demarcation point. Mm-hmm. Let's say Jurassic Park is 1998. Again, I, I should have looked it up and I did not. Right. So from the late 90s to now, how much do you think it, how much better do you think CGI has gotten in its use in feature films and TV? And I mean that in the sense of like generationally, is it one generation better than 98, two generations, you think, three generations? Depending on the effects house and what they're using. No, no, just in general, in general, okay. everything. In general? Everything, All yeah. Right. Um, I'd say probably from Jurassic Park, maybe 60% better. Maybe 60, yeah. Okay. And And that's... That's it's it's like because Jurassic was it was it was a big drastic you know change you know <laughs> yeah so did they yeah <laughs> and, uh, you know I can resist and but I mean everything else was kind of built upon that like that was Lucas testing out what he's going to do next to augment Star Wars and and go back and do the the, the prequels so that that without you you know he was like. He was like he was like dude behind the tree in that in that uh, in that meme you know rubbing his hands together like right, Birdman right, right, you know right. Lucas is like oh I'm gonna get out my dusties and fix them up yo exactly exactly <laughs> and I can and I can and I can I can um, put on somebody else's task I'm paying the money for this besides Lucas filming yeah <laughs> you know it's like I can I can test this out and really get down to it and, and drill it down to the science yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd say yeah. I'd say about sixty percent better. It's not. I, I can't go any higher than that because I, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of room for growth. But I do say, you know, that the fact that um, that um, um, Mandalorian has used uh, that technology, which allows you to it's basically Unreal Engine, and it allows you it submerges you in this round, this surrounded stage, just a bunch of screens around you that projects the image behind you will help the immersiveness more because now the actors can work with inside the environment that they're pretending to be inside of. Right. So, so that 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 reality base for the actor alone helps them to be, pull off a better performance, which then gives you a better grounding in reality. So that helps considerably. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's still, there's still room for improvement. Um, and I think the best kind of conversation we can have is when we're no longer thinking about whether or not it's a special effect or not. It's just part of the story. Right. You know, you know, and they're not they're not there yet. Yeah, so. you're you're exactly right, man. And you know, as it relates to again, going back to, to the point you made about, you know, or that when we were discussing, you know, how our eyeballs are tuned to one thing and how the next generation's eyeballs are tuned to something different. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, what we yearn for just won't be available anymore. Like even now, you know, it just makes more sense for them rather than burn up a house is just put fake flames on the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm. than create an explosion, just just stitch it in in the background and then cut it before somebody realizes that it was stitched in. Mm-hmm. You know, which we saw them do. You know, they, they people do endlessly. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the the explosions now are shot in such a way so that they can stitch it in, and it's you know if it's if it's CGI or whatever, you know. Anyway, they they they're, they're doing everything they can, and it reminds me of um, so back when I was learning how to play and I was recording, learning how to record, and I was just getting involved in in, in the recording process as a young you know keyboard player mm-hmm. and wannabe songwriter. And I think I've told this story on the show before, but at the time I was very much trying to learn how to play and be a real musician, and I was trying to you know you know and I and I had access to these people, and they would show me things and teach me things. So I was trying to do that, and at the same time. The emerging technology was sequencing, mm-hmm. 
where you could set up a four bar or two bar or eight bar phrase and you could play a beat and you could record a bass line for four bars and make it loop and then you could put some keyboards down and make it loop and then you could throw a sample in there and you could loop that mm-hmm, and you could mm-hmm. put a string part in and you could loop that and you could take something out and call that the verse and all of a sudden you have what sounds like a song and that's how most modern songs are made today. Right. But at the time in the early 90s, Mm-hmm. You know, the real musicians were pushing back on it, and there was always this effort to, you know, once digital recording came along, they were all like, okay, well, you know, we need to, uh, yeah, we're going to record it digitally, but then we're going to dump it over to analog so that we can get that warmth, and we're going to do this and play over the top of it so that it has more of a human feel to it. We don't want to lose that human feel. And then once we got, you know, 10 or 12, 15 years into it, nobody gave a shit about the human feel anymore. Yeah. The audience <laughs> certainly didn't care. They didn't know about the yeah. human feel. They didn't know, you know, once their ears tuned to sequencing and digital recording, that's just what they were used to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and to you all, you know, this this conversation is kind of a piggyback on top of the uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. is artificial intelligence art conversation that you and Adrian had recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm listening, and I'm and this is the one time I can think of in. I don't know how long where I'm listening to an episode of the show that you guys recorded and I'm actually talking to the talking to my earbuds and saying, yo, yo, bring this up, bring that up, because I'm thinking the whole time, you know, and people are online now lamenting and you all mentioned it on the show there. You know, people are lamenting that, oh, this is, you know, I feel like my I'm, you know, I'm going to be replaced or there's not going to be a place for me as a as who's not. a you know, I'm not a triple A level artist. I'm I'm like on the second or third tier. Right. And eventually I'll be muscled out by, you know, a painting that I took, spent three weeks working on. OK, somebody can make one in five minutes and my three week painting gets lost in, you know, the tsunami of noise. That is all this AI art that's now being created. Mm-hmm. But those are the same arguments that people made years ago with music where it was like, oh, you know, the real musicians and it's going to replace. And it just did. Yeah, it did. Right. It did do that. Right. right. That is what happens. That is what's going to happen. You're not going to stop the technology. We're not going to create a field of endeavor over here for these people who, you know, want to make handmade furniture as opposed to just go to Ikea or go to rooms to go and just buy a fucking chair. Right, right. That's not what's going to happen. People are just going to gravitate towards the path of least resistance. And ultimately, with moving pictures and in, in television and in film with static images for art, you know, book covers, uh, comic book art, um, whatever it is where you're applying these tools to make this stuff. Ultimately, all of this is in service to be sold to a common average everyday person. And if that person responds to it, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. It is the only thing that matters. And so if our daughter, my daughter and Adrian's daughters and uh, Braxton's daughters and all of the people that we know who have children who are going to be the next generation of film, film watchers and audience members and consumers of storytelling. All of them, they're just not going to care about these things that we care about. They're just not, Mm-mm. you know, don't, don't and back to what I was saying in that, in that show. I mean, the, the, the truth through line in terms of what really matters in the situation is narrative content, narrative direction. How, how, how good is your story? What, what, are you, what are you actually trying to say? What, what, what's what's going to stand out beyond anything is going to be the quality and the relatability of the story and the characters. So it's not about the trappings of what makes them those things. It's about the staying power of the narrative and the, and the, and the energy that comes within those characters that allows those characters to be, 
you know who they are, right? And that's going to sell. That's going to just going to sell it. You know, that's why. That's why as much as we we beat up on mumble rap and and and, and can't. I think it's garbage personally. It's not a generational thing. It's purely a matter of like what we expected things to be versus what they are. There's 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 lyrical content that was a must for us, but for them it's all about the vibe and the beat. So as long as the vibe and the beat is is intact, they feel like they're getting someplace, and that's what it's supposed to be for them. Right. But for, but they, for have, us, they have a different value system than we had from exactly. 30 years ago or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I think the universal nature of what music is, universal nature of what art is, especially when it comes to narrative arts, being movies, television, or comics, or video games, is still the immersiveness of the content, you know? I mean, what what kind of story is is Adrian creating, Dwight creating, Swain creating that makes people come back to it and draw back into it again, you know? Because otherwise, otherwise it's like all you're getting is pretty pictures and and and, and wonder, wonderful sounds. Yeah, you know? it's like like how we're, how we're hitting on like you and I were talking about a few minutes ago before the, the show started. We're talking about Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode st- stuff still stands up to this day, lyrically and musically. Mm-hmm. You know, their their lyrics were, were were so powerful and so strong and so so imaginary, and 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 pulled at a place inside of who you were as a person that you can't deny it. You know, right. There are, there are tons of other examples of where you know CGI and films have gone amiss. Do you remember the mummies, the Mummy Returns from two thousand one? Yeah, The Rock, Scorpion King. Oh my God! Did, did, didn't he wink? Didn't he wink, yo? Did The Rock? I think wink he tried to wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that? It's like yeah, that was not that was not a golden moment, sir. No, no, that was yeah. that was pretty god awful. Another example, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna push back on this, but the Matrix Reloaded from 03. 03. Yeah, which which part? I mean, there's a lot of it. There were <laughs> well, Neo with the, with the long coat on, looking like he's he's fighting in a video game, and he's flipping, and it's like okay, that's not Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was very enjoyable, man. It was very enjoyable. You're right, and I, and I, I know what you're gonna say. I'm surprised you didn't mention yet, but the the um. The opening, the opening fight, or one of the opening fights in, in Blade Two, where the lights go out in the in the in the, uh, in, the in the warehouse, and it's Blade versus the the vampire. Science. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, they, and, they're, and they're, they're like flipping around, and it's like okay, right, right, right. These are not human beings, you know. Right, right, right. But I liked it because it was it was good. The thing, the part in Blade Two that I really loved was the opening sequence where he jumps off the building. And the camera moves from over the top of him as he's going down, right? And it swings around underneath him. Yeah, yeah. Oof. And then he catch, and then it catches him in the superhero stance when he when he lands on, and does that three point stance. That was superb. Nailed it, man. Nailed that was it. superb. And I remember Wesley promoting the movie before it came out and talking about there are some things that Guillermo del Toro has done that we haven't seen before. Right. And that was one of them. And I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. So in the first blade, you know, we have him jump across from one building to the next, kind of like. Uh, like uh, Trinity does in in the first Matrix, and then in the second Blade, we have him do that thing where he jumps off the building and he jumps down, and land, and the camera moves. Around. I thought that was really incredibly yeah. well done. You know, that yeah, that was, was brilliant. Man. It, was, it was like it was like watching it was like watching um, uh, uh, Ramita or Busima doing the Spider Man fall, and and and, and the panel to panel has like the shadows and so yeah, it was it was yeah, that was that yeah exactly good. exactly. Yeah. Another one that I, I called out at the time when I saw it, and you know, and um, and, and people, it's a beloved film at this point because of the uh, passing of Chad, Chadwick Boseman was Black Panther from 2018, right? You know, where the jet comes into Wakanda, and I'm like, okay, that's not very good. 
you know, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, and then later on when, when T'Challa faces off against Killmonger, you know, as two different versions of the Black Panther and it's like, okay, this looks dumb and they're not actually fighting and somebody put all this together painstakingly so right in a in a program and it just doesn't sell yo it just is not selling for me right right and then the last is and I never saw this but I know you saw the the the, the images of it and the criticism of it remember when they took the Broadway show Cats and they made the the film for it in 2019 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that sir was an abortion that was an absolute botched abortion, sir. Not even a, an abortion that actually worked. <laughs> you know, utter garbage, sir. Utter garbage. Like, wow, what? Who thought you could take Idris Elba's face and put it on the body of this this, this cat creature? What? And, and, and thought what? Who and does Taylor that? Swift and all the other actors. What? <laughs> Why? Why? What's going on? You know? Yeah, it was crazy, man. And 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 learning from those mistakes. What I like about it is as people are learning from those mistakes. I. I I would go to um, uh, um, a Netflix series that used quite a bit of, of CGI, and to I mean, in a, in a great and effective way, was uh, the Sandman, No Gaiman, and mm. they use in the the last episode they use that episode episode eleven, which had um, cats. Now it, they could have used human beings to personify those cats, you know, putting their faces and their facial expressions in it, but they they didn't do it. They shot away from them. they they used their voices. And it works because they didn't try to go that extra mile to, to do that. And sometimes, sometimes less is more, man. And knowing where to use CGI is where is where you kind of want to, kind of want to do want to want to do yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Last question. I'll say, and I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll tell a quick story, and then I'll ask the question. But okay. I remember talking to uh, a friend of the show who works in animation. I'm not going to name him now, but he was talking about working on an animated show, and some of the artists that he was interviewing to hire had worked on other things, other non-kind of, you know, fantasy, superhero, nerd-centric properties. And this one person that he, he was interviewing had worked on Sex in the City, and that guy was talking about using, you know, Photoshop to, like, paint out, you know, uh, parts of the skyline. Okay. Uh, to uh, paint out, you know, like, um, I, I want to say the World Trade Center was involved. I know that was a big thing back then when, you know, when, after 9-11. Right. And he was just talking about how on that show, that was his job. You know, this is a show about four women living in New York City and catching taxis and having lunch and going on fabulous dates and, you know, and, and being, you know, living their best lives. Right. Sex, sex and more sex. Yeah. And his his whole gig was CGIing things in and out of the show for post-production sake. So I was going to ask, do you think that we have become... Uh, adequately reliant or overly overly reliant on CGI for stories that do not involve the fantastical and do not involve, you know, otherworldly things. Because it's every TV show in production is using this mm-hmm. for some for some purpose. Every single mm-hmm. one, even if it's a family drama and there's a picture on a mantle of the family from that was supposed to have been taken from you know last summer or whatever. A lot of times those are painted in because they just don't read well when you're shooting them. And if it's key to the story, they'll just paint it in later. They'll just do it. Yeah. But do you think we have we're our reliance on it is 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 balanced or no? You know, if it's just a kid's show and and you're and you're uh, well, first off, let's put it this way. Production values are production values which are generated by 
producers and by directors and the art team and all those things, all, all those various elements, right? Showrunners, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what they want is the product to be as pristine as possible for what, they, what their usage is and, wh- and who their crowds are, right? To, for you, to an example, um, it's, there's, there's a scene in, in, in one of the Game of Thrones episodes, uh, the, the, the first, ser- first generation series, when there's a cup on the table that, that was left there by oh, the production. Yeah. And it, it, the Starbucks cup. <laughs> the Starbucks cup. And they went and painted that out, which is good because it, it shouldn't have been in the first place because it took you out of it, you know? Likewise, and in one of the scenes of Mandalorian, there's a, mm-hmm. a stagehand that's mm-hmm. back there, you know, looking very disamu- <laughs> disamused of the whole situation. And they had to paint his ass out because he shouldn't have been in the first place as far as the angle goes. So it has its practical uses. But if all you're doing is changing the color of a toothbrush or, or if you're changing the color of a hat or, you know, those, those are wasted uh, points of, of usage to me. But again, it's their, it's their baby. Their presentation is what they want to do with it. Yeah, but I, I, I can see how it works in terms of lighting and things like that. Because sometimes people they shoot at night, and it, they want to be have a daytime set, or they're shooting in, in the daytime and want to have a nighttime set. Those are very real factors in terms of the overall project. Yeah. So, so I, I get it. It has its usage. So, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm middle of the road with that. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. The main thing I don't want to see is I don't want to know it. Like, I, if you're doing it without me knowing it. And this person has a job because it's what you need to do done for the job. Then, 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 then good, good on them. But, if, but I can see it and it's raggedy. It's like, ugh, you know, this person didn't do the job. You know, <laughs> you know, like if if I, if I'm if I'm looking at like an updated version of Logan's Run, I'm still and I'm still seeing the trapeze lines. I have issues. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. But but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm good with it. You know. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.